SMS SAFM now on 41391. Call Songhez on now. 0891 104 207. Miss Pinky, it's all yours. Thank you, Songhez. Um, <clears throat> so tonight we are joined by Miss Dora Marema, who's a 2019 fellow for. Um, of Atlantic Fellows for Racial Equity. She's also the director of Gender CC Southern Africa Women for Climate Justice. Victoria, hi. Good evening, uh, CC, and how are you doing? I am well, thank you. How are you this evening? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. It's lovely to hear hear your voice, especially at this time, um, where, where COVID has sent us all in a spin and our lives have been turned upside down and we're dealing with a new normal. But in light of that also, we know that people like yourself have been working for a long time around issues of climate justice and its intersection with the gender and, and women. So I, I'd like to hear from you um, this tonight, what, what are the issues that are top of mind around issues of food security, the ways in which they affect women, and, and, and furthermore, how do we work to empower women in this field? But before we dive into that, I'd like to hear more about you, your work, your journey up until now, and um, what motivates you to continue doing the work that you are currently doing. Um, so thank you so much. I think uh, the work that I'm, I'm doing has been inspired you know, the place and the people, you know, where I come from and where I grew up. Um, you know, the, the people who have been um, very reliant on the environment and have always been able to produce their own food, have battled um, mining companies coming to invade their land, all form of consultation, basically shape the person that I am. And after my my junior degree, I ventured to work for an organization that uh, was set up by Black Sash that was assisting communities to get back their land and resettle. Um, so basically, the issue of justice um, has basically, you know, shaped the pattern I am today um, and, you know, has taken me to many places and has you know, put me in various platforms. Um, you know, even from the young age, I found myself going around and looking for organizations that would assist my community to be able to fight uh, the mining company that had just invaded the land and kids had died from open pit mines and, you know, mountains that have been there. Uh, destroyed farming land taken away from my people. Um, so yeah, that really is the is the very foundation that built you know that built me to the person I find myself being today. Short short points, Miss Dora. Can I just ask you to hold your phone slightly away from your ear because I think you might be pressing a button and the feedback keeps going beep 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 in our ears. Just a slight thing for you to consider. Please continue with the conversation, Pinky. No, thank you, Sengezo. Um, So, Dora, I believe you've been part of the space since 1997. I've been working um, in, in different sectors with rural communities and urban settings, um, focusing on the intersection between women, women's rights, climate justice, 
and racial justice. But please take us through what that journey has been, the lessons learned, um, and also, you know, the kind of support you needed in doing that work that you wish um, you wish people that that follow your success could have their work. Yes, I think. I mean, for me, um, you know, some of the things that I learned earlier on in my work is that even from the work in the land reform sector. We needed at that stage to already mobilize women separately because of the cultural barriers that many of them, you know, faced. And when we were talking about resettlement plans and things like that, for example, in land reform, and where communities had to indicate where they used to settle, where they used to graze their livestock, whatever. So the woman in a big group will, will always be quiet. And I remember that's the time when I learned participatory research methodologies from my colleagues, Melinda Swift, Greg Jacobs and others and Tessa Cousins, um, how to how to, you know, mobilize communities, how to be able to get the voices. And I remember at that stage we needed to have separate sessions for women where they became very vibrant and open and discussed. And when they were brought back into the big, bigger group with males, they were not able to articulate themselves. Um, so from then on, I realized the importance of supporting women, um, especially, um, you know, black women, uh, whom I'm afraid I think they've been raised, many of them have been, or of us have been raised to become submissive to our male counterparts. That even though you are in, you know, you are a CEO of a company or you are a leader of a project, you are your champion in your own community, in the midst of men in your community, you are, you, you, you somehow there's something that holds you back and that makes you believe that, you know, you, you don't really have much to contribute, that you feel inadequate in a way because of that cultural barrier, even though nobody shuts you off in a meeting or something like that. So from then on, I realized that processes, even though we can have women in numbers participating um, in mm-hmm. coming up with climate change solutions, it doesn't mean that they will be able to, to, to effectively contribute. They will be there, um, but in the way that we facilitate these processes and these meetings and these forums, it's important to be able to make sure that their voices is also, is also heard. So that's, that, that is one of the things that I learned, that by mere fact of them being present, it doesn't mean that their voices are being heard. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then on, on, on top of that, I'm just interested in how many young women do you see working in this field and what could we do better to encourage more young women to be vocal and be active in terms of um, um, climate justice? Look, it's, 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 still, it's, still, you know, it's still a battle. You, you still don't see a lot of young women entering the sector, and that's why it's important that we, we talk about this work and be able to showcase uh, women who are in the, you know, in the forefront of leading the, the fight against gender, just, gender injustice and climate injustice, mm-hmm. um, so that young women can, can be inspired to rise up and to challenge. And that's why the young women from, from Cape Town who has risen um, to, to start the, 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 the climate change movement um, and, and, and start advocating for climate justice and when to address the, the, the World Economic Forum, it's so important for us to be able to profile, you know, someone like her so that the younger girls can be able to see that this is a field that, that is so critical. Because for me, right now, uh, what I have I realized is that climate change is so important, it's so central. And any other thing that we do, any policy or any 
program that we come up with that doesn't take into consideration gender issues. It has got probably um, a, a, a chance of undoing a lot of gender equality work that has been done on the ground. So if we leave women outside um, when we come up with this solution, um, those solutions mainly they're not going to be able to be effective. So it is important to center uh, the solutions and the programs around women. Um, and, and women have been part of the solution and not necessarily all the time uh, being seen as victims of climate disasters or of uh, all sorts of things that are happening, in, you know, uh, that are climate-induced because um, then we reduce them to just that and we lose out on, their, on the contribution that they are able to make. No, thank you for that. And I think that's, you know, that's a critical point around involving and ensuring that policy solutions also address and, and, and are very deliberate in centering women. Um, earlier on, Sungezo and I were speaking about this moment and the cries around public procurement and corruption in our country. And I'd like to hear from you around the policy framework that currently exists that seeks to address uh, climate injustice. What are the things that you, you, you would like the state to prioritize in responses? And also, um, if you could also please give us a commentary around the public procurement processes that currently exist in terms of launching projects in communities around um, gender justice. And, and before you answer that, and before you answer that, I beg your pardon, that Dora, I do want to engage the listeners to please participate. There are 15 minutes or so left of this conversation. The number to dial is 0891-104-207. I will engage the comments on Twitter after the news break. For, for those who want to have a conversation, now is the time to dial. Unfortunately, our WhatsApp facility is not available. So if you're not on Twitter, you should be dialing. Please continue, Dora. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it is, it is important. I think there are policies that are encouraging um, women-owned businesses to be able to, you know, to, to take part or to, to be able to get access to those communities, to, sorry, to those opportunities where they are able to provide services and products that are needed. Um, however, uh, of access is an important sorry, one. Dora, sorry, Dora, just leaving you again. If you could please move the phone away, could you keep getting some feedback? Okay. Can you, okay, can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you again. Okay, so what I'm saying is that even though there are, there are, um, there are, there are opportunities available for women-owned businesses to be able to, 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 um, to apply and to, to get opportunities to provide services and products, the issue of access to those opportunities is something that needs to be looked at and addressed. That a lot of the way that government communicates on you know, to communicate to potential uh, uh, um, service providers and things like that is very important because it, it, these things are usually advertised on the internet, on on different, you know, maybe social media, and and so they require people to be able to have access to those to those um, to those uh, platforms, and it means issues of access to data and assumes that people are able to read and to write in English. Uh, or respond even in English. So it, 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 it then already it by itself, it excludes a lot of women in that. Um, and then you run into a challenge where you have the same kind of, you know, the same people 
getting access to these opportunities purely because they are black, they are women. Meanwhile, the majority are being left behind. I think we need to start being innovative in terms of how we involve these, you know, the broad-based grassroots women to be able to take up those opportunities. They need support. And I was talking to someone, I think about two weeks ago, talking about small business development uh, uh, programs and support needed by women-owned um, businesses. And I said, it's important that we know that access to capital, access to training, um, mm-hmm. and, and all the other things that we've seen being given to uh, uh, small business owners, particularly women, it, 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 it many times it's not enough. Um, these cultural barriers that I alluded to in the beginning of the conversation are, are still very much alive and they're still very much there. I remember three weeks ago I was running a business training. We had uh, two ladies in a group of uh, seven people. And as we started to have a conversation, I felt the young woman really pulling back, like not engaging. And then I had to speak to her and, and really literally give her an, an opportunity because you also don't want to make them feel like they are being picked up, you know, they're being picked on. And then when I asked her, you know, during tea break, I you feel comfortable? She said, you know what, I'm actually scared. I, I don't feel confident. I said, but you own this business, you own this, you, you do this, you do that. You are, you are much more powerful than any of the guys that are in the room. And you've got something to, to contribute and to share. And she said, I don't know, I just feel scared in, in, in the midst of these guys, right? So in mm-hmm. that case, you need something else to bring someone like that um, into the room so that they can be present and make their own contribution. They're, nobody said anything. But the, the, by virtue of being in an environment with a lot more men in numbers, made her feel completely uncomfortable. But she owned an internet cafe, she had a farm, she had worked with uh, uh, ex-convicts, rehabilitating them through um, an agriculture project. She had done far, far more, but she was feeling inadequate. Something was just saying to her, in the, in the midst of this man, you are not allowed to express yourself, or you, you are not worth it, or something like that. And I'm sorry to have to do that to Dora because I want to bring in a man on the line is our usual guest, KGM. He's in Kimberley. He wants to contribute. Bingy, after he is done, you can continue with the conversation, please. KGM, good evening. Thanks for calling. Good, good evening, Songa. So good evening to your guest and to the listeners. Uh, I'm going to, to say two contradictory uh, things that I would like your guest to to engage on two contradictory and unpalatable things about about this topic. One, um, it's not only coming from a woman's perspective that we are apologetic about our achievements or our capabilities as a black nation in general. It's something that we have to go a long way in, in ratifying, but the way we approach it, the way we're doing it, it will take us beyond our lifetime to be ratified, if anything. I'm saying this listening at the back of, of, of what your guest is saying in terms of the, the, the challenges that she so well articulates. But the biggest thing, my sister, here is I feel that if a woman or women could recognize their rightful position, especially in terms of the balances of force and power, the women uh, of our country and by extension of of the the, the black nation, as it were, have the power to say yes, have the power to say no. And I'm not oblivious of the fact where they are being forced 
uh, against their will to do things. And we can go into details at the later stage, but not now. I'm sure you'd relate to what I'm, or maybe understand what I'm trying to say. As a parting shot, if we are going to continue saying we should only focus on women, we are missing the bigger picture which got us here in the first place. Naturally, as a Mosara myself, I, I am not in any lala land that doesn't make me recognize the fact that women are actually the leaders before us men. Now, for a man who understands that like myself, I would like to see women play a bigger role as opposed to just singing the same tune that is sang by uh, leaders. In this case, we will always say leaders, we, mean, we, we refer to politicians. But take your rightful position, don't be apologetic about it, and exert your pressure and your presence in things that you do without saying we should be separated and divided. Because if you, as my mother, as my wife... Hey, Jim, come on, please hold it up. Yes, uh, I'll finish song as well. If, if you don't recognize that I have to look up to you for leadership and, and you say we, you, you only have to be the one that gets given these things, then we have a problem for the longest time. Because of time, Songezo, thanks for taking my call. Thanks indeed. Pinky, it's yours. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that, the caller. Um, Dora, would you like to address what the gentleman was pointing out? Yes, around? no, no, yes, okay. definitely, definitely. I think, you know, maybe he didn't, he didn't hear me correctly. So I, I work on gender issues, and that means we, we focus on both men and women. But we have to recognize that uh, we, are, we find ourselves in a very unequal society in terms of gender issues. So women have always been left behind. So when you walk in a room, like I've described the situation with a young lady that, that uh, is just three weeks ago. You cannot just go on and say she needs to realize that she's got the power. Unfortunately, she has been socialized to believe that she doesn't. And so my duty as someone who's there or facilitating, I need to be able to pull her aside, not with the aim of now dealing with her on her own on the side, but with an aim of working with her to put her back into the group where she will feel confident, exactly as he's saying, don't become apologetic about your, your, your achievements, about the power that you have in your hands. Um, but it's not a given, unfortunately. Not everybody is, is on that level. Many people, I see uh, people I work with, older women, when you give them an opportunity to, to, to run a mock pitching session, they would break into tears. And you ask them, what's wrong? They said, this is the first time ever in my life. And this, they are part of an environmental movement. You've seen them being active in groups and whatever. But when they are supposed to be on their own, they are not able to be able to confront that. They said, I've never been given an opportunity to be able to define myself and say, I, uh, I am Dora Morema. Can I introduce in this guard and, and, and just, you know, um, build on the conversation that we're having right now around not just the socialization, but a question around issues of inequality that are brought by the lack of, 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 of access to land, um, reduced access to credit, um, you know, the unpaid labor of women and how that influences uh, the, the, the power relations in the space. But also uh, what I want you to, to, to also speak on um, 
in connection with not just that, is how this has played into this moment during COVID around um, security, or rather insecurity in these, in, in these communities and what your experience of that in the work that you do has been. Yeah, and, and, it, and then it continues to play itself, and some of it is structurally systematic, right? Yeah. Well, we can take this deeper and deeper. And um, so by virtue of women not being able to own the land or even have tenure security on the land that they occupy, um, that, that manifests itself in the situation that we find right now. So uh, we, we heard of a, a survey that was conducted that said during COVID-19, 3 million people lost their jobs in South Africa between, from February. And um, of, those, of the two, 3 million, 2 million are women, right? And when we looked at the, when we look at the results of who's been paid from the um, COVID-19 relief fund, a lot of the a lot of the people who have been paid are male, right? Um, and we also now know that a lot of women are shielding their children from hunger, the hunger that is ravaging this country as a result of COVID-19 and as a result of the lockdown. Mm-hmm. And still, those women have not been able to go back to work because they are, they, are, they are in the informal, so-called informal sector, so meaning domestic work and other things um, where, which are easy to share because they also have got no job security there. So this is what we have seen, and it, it continues. And I think COVID-19 is really surfacing a lot of the issues that we already know about but have not been able to confront in a systematic manner. So women continue to become shock absorbers for what, uh, COVID-19 has brought into the society. They are the ones who are carrying the weight and it continues. Um, and I think it, 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 there is no way that we can pretend as if we live in an equal society and whatever solutions, even food distribution that we bring into the communities we just we're giving everybody. No, we can't. We can't because we don't live in an ideal equal world or where men and women are, are the same or black and white the same. No, it's not like that. And it's, it's so clear right now. If you walk in and go to these communities, you'll find a woman with three kids and even the child support grant, the, the additional money that is being given is being given by, by, by per care worker and not per child. Mm-hmm. And yet women have to give now the three, their children three meals a day instead of one meal that they had to, you know, to take when they were going to school. Yeah, no, no, there's no doubt that we are seeing, you know, a lot of devastation across the country. And unfortunately, we're fast approaching the end of our conversation. But I also wanted to give you an opportunity before we wrap up to sort of like put on the table some of the solutions that you could see um, around the issues of, of food security at this period and also what that means for the work that you do on climate and gender justice um, and going forward. Um, as, I, as, I, as, I, as I mentioned, it's important for us to center the solutions around women because then you have the core benefits, as my colleague Becca Chiroro would say, the core benefits of the women benefiting, the children benefiting, and the whole community benefiting, right? And we need to put food production in the hands of the communities themselves and, and start building on, on, on short food supply systems where we've got uh, mm. uh, people producing their own food and distributing mm. it among, um, in their own neighborhood. And women turning their backyards into production centers where they will produce seedlings that they will make that will, they will sell, so they can they can be able to generate income. And I think we need to start focusing on farming methodologies like agroecology that 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 that, that, that we know and tried and tested 
that it's, it's sustainable enough to be able to bring a lot of people to farm with complications and 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 ensure and, 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 and will ensure food sovereignty that people are just not being food secure but they are in charge of what kind of food um, is available to them so i think for me quick question dora dora quick question yes. and, and and i'm going to ask you to resist the temptation to be overly elaborate we've got literally a minute left of this conversation in the line of some of the solutions that you have profit in other words shortening the time between production and consumption particularly of food i'm, I'm wondering if whether mining conditions have been appropriately crafted in relation to mining licenses in this country and to the extent that that is the case i can almost put it to you that it's monitoring and evaluation the implementation of all conditions attached to owning a mining license south africa falls desperately short and perhaps that is something that needs a thorough examination what are your thoughts on that definitely i definitely agree with you um it means things are not what they seem on paper which is what is famous with our country. We've got brilliant laws and policies and programs, but we lack implementation. So, yeah, definitely I agree with you. It needs to be relooked. We need to look at it. Who's benefited and what, at what cost? Because the cost is prohibiting many mm -hmm. of our people to be involved. Yes. Fair enough. Thank you. It's all yours. Thank yeah. you. So, oh, no, thank you so much, Dora, for your time today. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Dora Marema who's the director of Gender CC, Southern Africa, Women for Climate Justice, and also a 2019 Fellow for Racial Equity. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Good to